This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Denver, like the rest of the world, has Barbie fever. Bike lanes stir controversy because they're ugly, and Casa Bonita management responds to employees' unionizing efforts. Producer Paul Caroli joins me to break down all these stories, plus a listener's concern that downtown Denver isn't dead just because we say it is. Today is Tuesday, July 25th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hi, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, I did. I did, actually. I did Barbenheimer. Ah, the Barbie Oppenheimer double feature. Yeah, normally we start the Tuesday show with a vibe check. I think it's pretty clear that was the vibe this weekend. I agree. pink everywhere. It's been my dream. I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen Barbie yet, so no spoilers. Okay, I won't. What did you think? They're both great. They're both great. But mostly, I mean, the Denver part is like, it's exciting that people were just like every other city, it seems, super, super pumped, especially to see Barbie. I mean, people are talking about it as a pair, but if you know anything about the movie business, Barbie is like going to make three times as much money as as Oppenheimer. It did Uh, already this weekend. My Instagram feed was just like full of every kind of person, every age group that I'm friends with. Everyone was at Barbie and everyone Mm -hmm. was dressed up. So I love it. I love that Barbie's getting her due as a person that was not really allowed to have Barbies as a kid. I went through my Barbie phase late. Hmm. 16 to 26 was my Barbie time. My college. 16 to 26? Yeah, my college bedroom was head to toe Barbie. Everything. Barbie sheets, Barbie curtains, Barbie television, everything. Barbie TV, VCR combo. When you see it, we'll talk about it. I'd be interested to hear your take because it's very meta. It like addresses all ages of Barbie fandom. I love it. It's fun. I love it. Okay. Well, you can tell us what you think about Barbie if you want. <laughs> but um, what else? What what else are Denverites talking about this week? What what was on your mind? What are you? What story really caught your attention? Well, the one I'm watching is this controversy developing over the Seventh Avenue Bikeway. Okay. And, and what's happening is Dottie is finally installing a bikeway between Williams and Pennsylvania. Um, on 7th Avenue. So if you know 7th Avenue, it's this, it's, it's a parkway. It's one of our historic boulevards. There's the green, there's the stretch of green between the, the lane going one way and the lane going the other way. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I'm just trying to picture like what neighborhoods it goes through. Cause it's kind of like the edge. It's not really Capitol Hill, sort but of it on the kind south, of. south part of Capitol Hill, Congress Park. Congress Park. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. The controversy around this thing kind of, you know, blew up around May, late May. That's when a group of neighbors uh, met in Little Cheeseman Park, May 31st. It was like, I've seen a picture in Westward. It was like dozens and dozens of neighbors and they're all upset. They say they're not upset about the bike lanes themselves, which have been there for a few years, but these new bollards 
which if you're not familiar with a bollard, yeah. you've probably seen one because there's a lot of them going up around the city. White, flexible poles, kind of like rods, like hip hip length. And if you put them in a line, they create a nice non-permanent but significant barrier between the bike lane and the car lane. They kind of look like PVC pipe. Yes. Like okay. maybe a little bit wider, a little thicker, but yeah, PVC pipe. I remember there was one in the middle of 11th. Oh gosh. What is it like? LaPan? It's right by West High School and it just got run over so much they took it out. Hmm. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> so it was a cross. It was like denoting yeah. a crosswalk for pedestrians and cars were just not having it. Huh. Um, so, okay. Interesting. So you're saying that the bike lane itself maybe wasn't the initial issue. It's these, uh, it's the structural part that they're putting in as a protective layer between cyclists and, and cars, right? Yeah, it's this new level of infrastructure. And like, as for what people are getting upset about, I really don't know. I mean, this is a big group of angry neighbors. There's the things people say that they're upset about, and then there's the things that are actually upsetting them, and it's kind of hard to tell. That's a good point. Um, but what people are saying is that it's these bollards. Like one longtime resident told Nine News, we love the bike lanes, we love the bikers, we just don't want the beautification of our 7th Avenue taken over by white poles. Well, beauty is subjective, right? Yeah, I think I feel that way. I mean, I, I don't know if you're a longtime resident of this neighborhood, if you live there for 50 years and you're used to these certain intersections, maybe you're really attached to them. I don't know. I don't know. I, what I feel like is... Uh, you don't think I, it's really about that. Though. I don't think it's really about that. I mean, I think it's about... I think it's about neighbors not wanting change. I think them not wanting to give up any space. And I think that they're 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 mad for reasons that are real is what I want to say. Like, okay. And I think that what's getting lost here is that this is really a vision zero conversation. Like anytime you add infrastructure and improve safety conditions for cyclists or people using other modes of transportation, inherently you're making things a little bit more difficult for drivers. That's by design. That's what vision zero is supposed to be all about, right? So vision zero is this plan put in place in 2017 by the 16. city, mm -hmm. 2016 by the city of Denver to eliminate traffic related deaths. So people hit by cars, cyclists hit by cars. And so what you're saying is like, okay, I mean, anytime the built environment changes, it changes how we feel. But this is really, it's, gosh, it's that subtext about cars, kind of, to me. is like, mean? Well, like, well, isn't, a, isn't a line of cars parked along your block ugly, too? <laughs> uh, no? For some people, we're used to it? Some I people don't know. definitely don't like that. Uh, but it, I, it's, it's by design. Right. It's, it's supposed to be slowing down cars. That's sure. the entire explicit purpose of this. A Dottie spokesperson says, the goal is to lower vehicle volumes on that stretch so it's more comfortable and attractive for biking. More comfortable and attractive for biking is interesting. I think more comfortable, and I guess attractive in the sense, attracting people to use that mode of transportation. Yeah. Okay. Because here we're talking about the attractiveness of a street. That is not what is happening. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, they want to make it easier. They want to make it safer they want to make it feel safer which is another huge thing for cyclists but yeah i mean infrastructure like this like as a as a longtime biker i can confirm it it works it's it, it helps it you it makes it more appealing okay. makes me want to bike more often so i guess in the bigger picture of this conversation around the city and changing our streets right that's the big conversation with vision zero is how do we change our streets to make them more safer um do you see this as like a, a microcosm of the larger issue? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, this is this is people who probably typically drive cars, these neighbors, not wanting to give up any space on their streets. 
that would be making things easier and safer for bicyclists. And it's going to have a direct impact. Like any incremental improvement we have for cyclists, like these bollards, is going to mean fewer deaths at the end of the year when we start looking at how we did at Vision Zero. I'll be curious to see how the Johnston administration addresses uh, Vision Zero, honestly. Me too. This is a good first test for them. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brie, how about you? What what stories on your mind this week? Oh, you know, Casa Bonita. But no, Casa Bonita is... continues to be a very hot topic. But it's the intersection of two things we talk about a lot: Casa Bonita and workers' rights, right? Yeah. Um. So there was this petition that went out July twelfth with a list of demands for Matt Trey and Dana, the two owners, and then Dana Loca Rodriguez, the the head chef, who's sort of been the face of it. I think she's been the one of the faces of the reopening as someone that's familiar. People know and trust yeah. her in Denver, right? They're, they're making her more available than they're making Matt and Trey. Absolutely. When yeah. I was when I went to Casa Bonita, she was there talking to tables, walking around for sure. So she is the accessible, which I don't think is necessarily fair that they're putting her out there, but. Well, That's between now that, them. Now that the story's turned a little bit tougher for them, yeah, it, it, it is putting her in a, a hard bit, spot. Yeah, um, exactly. And it revolves around her specific expertise, which is running a restaurant. Yeah. And that what the workers who sent this petition are upset about is the way that the restaurant part of Cosbonita is being run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is putting her in a hard spot. <laughs> so the crux of this issue... Um, Denverite's Kevin Beatty sort of sums it up. The restaurant was originally slated to open in May and has languished in an extended, quote, soft open phase, which has limited employee hours and management also changed employees' pay structures, cutting out all tips and instead opting for hourly wages. So I think those are the two main issues here is pay and schedule, right? Um, And I think if you know anything about an hourly job, the two things your employer should not mess with are your schedule and your pay. So I can see where this has really, really become a struggle. Um, So they, like I said, the employees uh, posted this petition, putting out a list of demands. This is part of a unionizing effort by some employees. Um, A couple employees have quit. I don't know if we have numbers on how many people left after supposedly they were given this ultimatum to remove tips or... Still pretty murky what's actually happening. Yeah. And I think that's been the hard part for especially us in the media is like it's murky. 
We don't know. Um, but what I found interesting was Casa Vanita responded with a statement to this petition last Friday um, through their PR company. And they sent out their press release Friday at 4.05 p.m. Um, what's what, for, for people who aren't in the media, what's the meaning of that? Why okay. is that important? If you send out a press release on a Friday afternoon at 4.05 p.m., um, it, you want the story to be buried. <laughs> you don't want anyone to pick it up. It's where press releases go to die. It's when you it's when you release information that you don't necessarily want to mm -hmm. talk about, right? Mm -hmm. It's different than, say, if they release this on a Monday morning at 9 a.m., then every media outlet would be covering it. Yeah. Um, so what do they not want people to be talking about? So the, it's kind of what's interesting to me is there's the employee demands in the petition and then the response. I, I They kind of addressed Casa Bonita sort of indirectly addressed some of these issues. Um, so the employees re had requested clear opening dates and hours of operation. Again, something us in the media have not seen either. It's pretty unclear if they're they say they're officially open, but you can't just walk up and get a table. Yeah, they're still right? in this email reservation invitation thing. And it's very unclear how or why you get an email invitation. Yeah. Because I know hundreds of people who have signed up for that email list and not very many people have gotten through. So um, that's one thing is employees are saying, okay, the fact that you, you aren't telling us when you're opening is messing with our ability to work um, and make money. And then they also requested a clear pathway of how to access benefits, when to apply for them, et cetera, which makes me wonder if Cosmonita's got HR. Hmm. I would think. It seemed a little why, bit. Why wouldn't they have? What is this? Well, because, well, Paul, we work for an employer and we know exactly when our benefits begin and end. And we get multiple emails about when you sign up for them and how you go about that. And it sounds like they have not been given that information. Hmm. So. To me, that's counter to what Casa Bonita promised, which was benefits for full-time employees. So in response to the hours part, Casa Bonita says, opening well, not fast. <laughs> so they said they've been intentional about opening gradually in order to sort of ref refine what they say are the complex aspects of the Casa Bonita experience, which is it's not just a restaurant. We know that. There's an advanced ticketing system now. There's, you know, there's so many places in the in the restaurant where you can sit. So they have to make sure everything is in line. And um, they said that they have been transparent with their employees about why they're going so slowly. And um, they just don't want to make promises to the customers or the staff that they can't fulfill. So... I, don't I think the communication problem is the is the biggest issue here. It's so obvious that these two sides have not been effectively communicating because when you hear about a last minute change of plans from going from, you know, tipped to non-tipped wages and then the employees apparently like have less than a day to sign that contract or just get out of there. It just it just it, it reeks of like a lack of, of communication to me. And a little bit of a lack of respect for your employees. I mean, this is you're setting a precedence as a new restaurant, essentially, right? I, I know a lot of folks had beef with the old management, and I think they were really looking forward to working for this basically brand new restaurant. And so I think that lack of communication is kind of translating a little bit to a lack of respect for your workforce. Do you uh, see it from the other perspective at all? What do you see from the managers? What do you think? I I have a hard time seeing it because it sounds to me like they have not been clear. I think that's all the employees are asking for is just tell us what's going on so that we can make decisions in our lives. Because again, the precarious nature of being a, a tipped employee, you're trying to figure out your bills, man. Yeah. 
You're yeah. not salary. You're figuring out your every day your bills. You know what I mean? Your your pay situation can look different. And so I just see the frustration and um I I don't know. I I I'm I'm very bummed. Well, do you do you give any credence to their the manager's points of uh they want to open well, not quickly? Is that what was that the quote? Yes. Yeah. Because that means inherently there's some uncertainty. So and they if we take them at their word that they were being transparent with these new workers who came on and they said, Hey, we don't know how this is gonna go. We're gonna take a few months to get this right. It's gonna be weird, it's gonna be irregular. If that was all clear at the beginning, I think these employees signed up for that. That's not what the employees' uh, testimonials, though, are sharing. Tell me about those. So Corey, uh, a bartender there, shared through this petition, my name is Corey. I originally signed my first offer letter on March 13th. I was told that there would be zero blackout dates and Casa ben- basically Casa Bonita re- would require me to work full time. So I had to, qu- had to quit any other jobs I had by the end of April to mm. ensure my employment with Casa Bonita. Here we are four months later with still no sign of an opening date and I've been living off credit cards and drained my savings. So I yeah, it just doesn't seem feasible for very long. Right, right. Um, again, Rachel, a bartender, similar situation. She was very excited to work there. Um, the promises made throughout the hiring and training process were enticing full time hours, benefits and a high rate of pay. Not one of these has been met. She says, even though things are going this way, she thinks there's room for change and she's really looking forward to continuing to work there. Oh, she's still optimistic about it. I, that's that's the g- thing, great to hear. That's the thing that kind of has been running through. If you look at the petition and you read these testimonials, it's not that people don't want to work there. They're just asking for clarity and just some clarity. What's going on? We need to live, right? I mean, Denver is not a cheap city. You can't be coasting on no job. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one more thing I want to address, though, that the employees talked about, which is the tipping issue, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. So um, employees request a mutually agreed upon tip pool structure with input from all staff members and full transparency regarding how the mutually agreed upon tip pool will be dispersed. Basically, they're saying we would like to be tipped. We're fine with putting all our tips together and dispersing them staff wide. We just want to be able to have a say in that process. And Casabonita's response, as we know, was actually we don't think people are tipping enough, so we're going to go to a flat hourly rate. And what I found interesting about this press release was that Cosmetics said guests weren't tipping. As a result of our unique customer experience, we found during our soft openings that guests were leaving tips that were much lower than expected. I just want to say as a person that has been there for the soft opening, it was a little bit confusing if I should tip or how I should tip or what I'm tipping on. So I could see why people weren't tipping. I would not equate that with people don't want to tip. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, it's you're in a beta confusing mode, very right? often when and how to tip. I mean, people Fair. are constantly putting iPads in front of you saying the appropriate tip is 35%. What? <laughs> I don't remember getting an iPad here before saying I should well, tip and, my docent at the art museum or whatever. And the lack of clarity, like you're saying, uh, last week we ordered from a local restaurant. Here we ordered food to go. We paid a service fee. We didn't know that. And then we tipped on top of that. And then they asked us to tip again when we picked up the food. So I think you have a point here, Paul. There needs to be clarity, maybe industry-wide. And we're in the middle of a really messy transition of that. Yeah, I think that's right. So I, I can see where Casa Bonita is trying to right the wrong by saying, we think people aren't tipping enough. So we want to make sure our employees are getting a good hourly wage. On the on the flip side of it, I think one of the big complaints from the employees was just this was a bait and switch. Yeah, we know that we take a gamble when we 
work for tips. However, that gamble often pays off much better than an hourly wage would. Well, for some people, I don't think for many people. I think that's why the service fees are becoming more popular for restaurateurs. They're more reliable and everybody gets a higher wage in the end. That's that's the argument for them. Now, it's the bait and switch that I agree is the issue with the Casa Bonita folks. But I, again, I mean, I, I'm going to come back to the point of optimism that we shared earlier. Like, it sounds like people are still feeling pretty good about this. You hear about organizing, you hear about unionizing, you hear about tipping, everybody freaks out and it sounds like the world's going to hell. Yeah. But I still believe that this process is going smoothly and we're going to get a better Casa Bonita at the end as a result of it. I personally. Hope, I hope that we do, but I hope that better Casa Bonita also ensures a better employee experience. Well, they're going to have different employees. You know, I think some of the people who got took these jobs, like maybe there's some like rock star bartenders who are used to getting like boffo tips on a well, Friday night. Also like high volume. We have to think about that, Paul. They were promised this much dinner service, this much lunch service. Like they'll get there eventually. Hundreds of thousands of customers per week or I'm sorry, thousands of customers a week. And they're seeing a couple hundred that I, I can see why those rock star bartenders are like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not the place for them. It's But it's also not what I signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. So it might not be the place for them, but they should have been able to make that decision before they quit their other jobs. Well, how how does anyone know what it's going to be like? That's That was the whole thing. We don't know what Cosmonia 2.0 is like. It turns out the managers didn't either. I, I just wish that people thought more about the day-to-day of people's experience of living in the city without having an uncertainty around getting paid at all. Yeah, that that's, part is really hard to read that's about. That's the disconcerting part. So, um, but at the end of the day, they're still hiring. They have 339 <laughs> positions you open. Get in the middle of this. <laughs> you want to get right in the middle of it. Um, but also the uh, the employees are currently working on unionization efforts, which we've been seeing across industries here in Colorado. I also think that that's a bright spot as much as it's a point of turmoil right now, worker power, um, watching folks unionize in spaces like restaurants, I think is really incredible. And I hope that that leads to a better future for Denver in terms of people making enough money to live here. Yeah. That's what I want to see. And yeah. I want to see an awesome Casa Bonita. I, that, it's, that's what it's going to all come down to. Can the business really take off and succeed and lead to people having the opportunity to have those livelihoods you're talking about? I hope so. We've got uh, a segment here. Every Tuesday, we answer some of your questions or respond to some of your feedback on past topics. Um, and I don't know about you, Brie, but it's always my favorite part of the show. Our I listeners are so brilliant and hilarious. This response came to us via email. It's from Anata W. Anata writes, I drove downtown yesterday to meet my partner for lunch near Union Station. I had to circle five blocks before I could find a parking spot, driving past hundreds of people who were downtown to hang out, grab lunch, or walk back to their offices. I understand that people have not returned to downtown to the level of how things were before the pandemic. I am one of those people who used to work in an office building downtown and now work from home. But to say things like, quote, nobody is going downtown, or quote, downtown is dead, I think is misrepresenting the truth and not helping our city. Please don't help perpetuate these tropes by repeating them on your show when they really aren't true. Go hang out by Union Station on a sunny afternoon. The vibes are great. <laughs> Thanks, Anata. Thanks, Anata. Pretty brutal, though. Yeah. Strong um, words. I, I want to take issue with one thing here. I would agree to a certain extent, right? We have been downtown. We've been at the 5280 offices, which are right in the heart. You can see Union Station. Yeah. 
from the offices. It's awesome. Um, and we go to lunch every Thursday. We've been to Little Finch. We've been Sophia's is our new favorite spot. It's definitely it's definitely banging. It's not as busy as I've seen downtown, but it's definitely busy. So she has a point. But something else she says in this comment is, I am one of those people who used to work in an office building downtown and now work from home. Paul, what is the state of the office building that we are in? Underutilized. There's no one on our floor. Yeah. There's literally two offices that look like still lifes. I've peeked into them. There's like desks all set up and there is not a human in sight. Even in our office, there's less than a dozen people there usually. And there's, I don't know, 50 to 100 desks. Yeah. So that is, I think, the point we're making is it's still not there and I think also recently when we've talked about this, we've talked about underutilized office buildings. What else do we do with them? Because Anata has a point. There's incredible stuff happening. It's still attracting people downtown. But I also think that there's room for more people. Um, to me, this is, uh, I feel like this is a check-in for us on how we talk about downtown. Because like we have not, we haven't really talked about it since we moved down to 5280. I mean, we talked about the vacant office buildings, but you personally, like, how are you feeling? Do you feel like downtown is dead? Does that resonate? Because that's, you know, those are things we've said on the show in the past. In the past, for sure. No, I think it's it's uh, half full, it feels <laughs> like. It definitely still feels like going downtown on a holiday when the office workers aren't there. Mm. That buzz and that busyness it does not feel the same. It doesn't mean that it's dead. I agree. I totally agree with Anata. It's not yeah. dead, but it, or it feels like Denver like 30 years ago. There's just not that many people. <laughs> so I just think that there, I agree. We could maybe be a little bit more attentive to how we discuss it, um, but it's not the same. And yeah. I think it would be foolish for us to, uh, to promote something that's not realistic. Yeah. And though that change is having, a huge economic impact that we need to be mindful of. 100%. 100%. Cuz even parking garages aren't really full unless it's a Rockies game. Like things that used to be are just not the same. Yeah. But thanks Anata that that was a great perspective. We really appreciate it. Thoughtful comment. Appreciate yeah. appreciate you writing in Anata. Uh so here we are at the end of the show. Yeah. Normally this is where we pose a question to our listeners for the week, but I wanted to end with something a little bit different. This is a song that we heard thanks to our pal, Emily Ferguson, the arts editor at Westward. Um, just a really nice track from a local singer-songwriter, Marty Jones. Uh, it's an homage to a local legend on the occasion of his retirement. <laughs> and I think that's all I'm going to say. I had a free place with plenty of space Close to some good bars and dives Stray Lodo friends and mice without A good spot to spend a few lives Now I feel like I'm losing the fire And they say it's time I retire So long to the crowds in the crack of the bat I'm Smokey the Coors Field Cat A big ballpark in daylight and dark Oh, the outfield a man could roam Thousands of seats, views you can't beat Now I'm off to a yard of my own To my followers out there on Twitter I'm struggling using the litter Enjoy your peanuts and your Cracker Jacks I'm Smokey, a Coors Field Cat 
Well, it's tough to stack winds in the air this thin And it sounds like catty bitching We'd have made more playoffs if only the boss would have spent good money on pitching I've had a great run of baseball fun and love my time in the sun But for health reasons it's my last season My stint in the big leagues is done From Black Monday Arenado All the players and fans in Colorado I bid you meow with the tip of my cap From Smokey to Coorsfield Cat Like a home run I'm gone and I ain't coming back I'm Smokey to Coorsfield Cat That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell your cat about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Barbie, I mean, Barbie Girl's a great song, but the rest of the album is pretty much certified bangers top to bottom. I will say that.